Hey, so so thanks everyone for joining. This is a this is a the breach of the week where we discuss uh, security trends and security issues. Uh, I am Joel De La Garza, the uh, CISO operating partner at Andreessen Horowitz, and my esteemed co-host is uh, Jeff Belknap. Yeah, hey everybody, I'm Jeff. I'm the CISO at LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you. And and so this week is a little bit special, um, and and it got us a bit to thinking. We actually have a very special. Special guest Ben Ben Horowitz, who's who's on the phone. Hello, as well. everybody. Hello, Ben. Thank you. And and the reason why Ben is here is because, um, you know, we started the show, and the whole idea, but behind the show has been to sort of destigmatize breaches, right? To kind of take some of the the silliness out of the way we talk about these things, and maybe talk about some of the bigger underlying issues. And and this last week was a week in which there was a a third party security event that allowed for Ben's Twitter account to get taken over. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which is, which is interesting uh, for a number of reasons. And I think the first of which is that, um, and, and there are actually looking at the list of folks on the, in the channel, there are a ton of people here with a security background. Um, and Ben, I think you've actually got like an incredibly impressive experience in history in the security space, not just, Sort of, yes. I think, and I think the, probably the coolest thing I had heard recently, I wasn't even aware of this, is that you actually worked on LDAP like way back when. Oh, actually, I, I, I more than worked on LDAP. I, um, so that's actually a funny story. So, or not that funny. So, you know, back in those days, uh, we had all these servers at Netscape, um, you know, uh, email server, web server, proxy server, et cetera. And, it was the beginning of the internet, so they all had their own uh, database called UserDB. You remember that? I um, do. And so we had to connect all the user DBs, but we were the internet standard platform. And the only directory standard that had any traction was X500, which is, was, of course, a nightmare. Uh, and so I had to choose what emerging standard we would use. And so there was XFN... There was who is plus plus. There was LDAP, um, and there was a couple of others, and so I kind of met all the guys who were working on those projects, and uh, I thought the you know the LDAP guys, Tim House in particular, Mark Smith, uh, Gordon Good, um, were the kind of the guys who would fit in in our company the best. So we recruited them all into Netscape, and uh, we made LDAP the Internet Directory standard. It's not yeah. often I get to sit in the same room virtually or physically with the man who ca has caused me so much pain uh, in my <laughs> life. So I appreciate that, Ben. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Apology accepted. It was, a, it was the best of some difficult choices. I mean, that's and that's security in a in a nutshell. It's the and and I think really it's only if we're lucky is it the best of all the choices. It's just the some of all the choices that we've made. <laughs> yes, yes. No or often, no or often the choice not to choose, which also happens. <laughs> yeah. So wait, Ben, am I to believe that you're not going to send me this Bitcoin that you promised me on Twitter? All right. Mental note yeah. for me. And 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 so so Ben, I think it's what's really interesting is that you've kind of, I mean, you've you've literally done just about everything, including being like the security Uber nerd. Yeah, I had uh, the SSL group at Netscape, <laughs> you know, where SSL was invented for a while. Yes. See, Absolutely. literally everything you are the cause of, but that's yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> fine. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't cause. It. I actually inherited that group, so that that, that wasn't all my fault. 
and so, so one of the things that's interesting is that, like in in this in this recent in the more recent times, Ben, I think you've really focused on sort of how to create or content or how to connect, sorry, creators kind of with their audience, like in a very direct way. And I think kind of the, you know, it's, it's kind of boring to talk about the technicality around the the Twitter stuff and the Bitcoin stuff that, that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the actual really interesting thing is sort of like these new mediums that are connecting people, creators directly to their audience. Um, You know, it's, it's, there is this inherent sort of, I guess, mistrust in the medium itself. And that like, you're always kind of asking yourself, did this person just really say this? Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like how you think that plays out with regards to kind of like the, the new kind of creator economy and the way that things are moving. Well, this breach was interesting, right? Because um, <laughs> it was on my Twitter account, which is actually quite secure, like the YubiKey and everything, except, <laughs> except, uh, you know, I had this, very, very old, uh, if this, then that account from years and years ago that was connected to my Twitter account um, that, uh, you know, was able to tweet, which it's still, it's very remarkable to me because I've changed my Twitter credentials like six times since I set up that IFTTT account. Um, But it still was able, whoever got into that was able to tweet out some stuff. So on that you, you know, it's just one of those things where it's really, really hard to secure these things entirely. Um, and I got to, you know, if I had a better memory, I, I would have uh, I would have done better there. But the interesting thing to me about it was, so the tweet went out, which is something like, I forgot what it was. I don't normally <laughs> tweet about such things, but you should buy this, you know, weird cryptocurrency immediately. Uh, I would say within like two seconds of that tweet going out, I must have had, you know, 50 texts from people saying, Ben, your account's been hacked. So it was pretty obviously hacked. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, thanks to our very good security team that we have, we were able to fix the whole thing in about eight minutes. Um, so I do think it is like, if you act on something, <laughs> that you see on social media immediately, um, it is dangerous, not just from a security standpoint, but obviously because even your trusted friends can, you know, get duped all the time, uh, which, you know, as you know, I mean, everybody here, I'm sure, has received fake information from trusted friends on the internet. Like, that's a, that's maybe the most common thing in the world. So it is a, it is really interesting um, you know how that works and how much you can trust information it's it's fascinating to me because it highlights two things immediately uh about you as a technologist and as an end user is one you're never going to be able to promote any kind of cryptocurrency your your friends (laughs) won't let you and then i think too um it really gets to the heart of the matter which which i think we're going to talk about today which is should it really be up to you to remember all these third-party grants that you've, you've provided to your account? Or should there be some sort of consistent standard or at least, you know, agreed upon norm across all these uh, these platforms where, you know, it, uh, it makes it obvious or you get a regular reminder of like, hey, you should check in and check all these third-party grants. Or, you know, should there be a, a norm where those expire after a certain amount of time when they're not used? To help sort of reduce the risk surface for people, because, you know, uh, you know, when you're in the security space and you're doing this machine to machine, 
you have all kinds of systems and tools and and regular reports and audits that you can you can bake in to protect yourself. Yes. But as an individual human, nobody's doing that for you, uh, and nobody nobody should be expecting you to not click on a link or to to remember this thing that you granted access to your account to three years ago. We have to build systems around those things for people to help them sort of help themselves. And I think in this case, it, it highlights it even more because you did the right thing. You had an authenticator, a strong WebAuthn 5.0 key authenticator, and, and still this was a problem. So I think it speaks well, to like what we have to do here. That's so true because the other thing that happened, so of course I immediately looked at everything that was linked to my Twitter account, and I was appalled at just, there were so many things, like anything that ever wants to, oh, would you like to tweet this? Okay, then that, you you kind of very smoothly user, in a user-friendly way, connect that to your Twitter account, and then it stays there forever. Um, and even when you change your Twitter credentials, it it keeps that, uh, you know, it keeps that access, which is, um, yes, People need help. I certainly need help in managing that. It's, uh, you know, I've deleted them all now, but uh, I, I, I could have been caught actually in many ways. And, and, and somewhat, somewhat uh, ironically, it is the result of the the OAuth, uh, <laughs> the way that OAuth authentication works, which is kind of the uh, the, the cousin of LDAP. So things have come full yes. circle. <laughs> yeah, OAuth. It turns out. I, I mean, yeah, because. <laughs> ending the session, and this is a problem for all kinds of like, you know, if you have an open session in, I mean, so many things from Slack to anything and, you know, somebody gets your account while that session is open um, <laughs> is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you so much, Ben. I know you're, you're incredibly busy. Yeah. We, we deeply appreciate you stopping by. Um, feel free to feel free to stay on. Feel free to drop whichever you prefer. Um, but but we will we will continue on to the rest of our agenda for the show. Okay, I'll let you guys go. But uh, thank you for having me. Thanks so much. My my security idiocy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks thanks for coming, Ben, and and apology accepted. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Awesome, great. So so Jeff, I think you know we kind of were we're we're going to put together an agenda. I think this week we were focusing on kind of exactly the situation, which is that security now is, is you know, breaches are all personal at this point, right? Like it, it just seems that we're working from home more. We've got this COVID situation. Um, our personal identities are becoming very intertwined with our, you know, professional identities. And, and we're starting to see these kinds of issues. Um, so I, I think maybe it might make sense to kind of walk through the sort of different ways that, that we're seeing these things manifest, kind of the personal threat landscape and maybe we could cover some areas where we think, you know, there's there's some room for improvement, or maybe some some stories uh, similar to Ben's where we can help share some light on like protecting yourself. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the number one thing that happens to people, uh, e even if you're somewhat clever uh, or if you think you're security advanced, which is just password or credential reuse. And I know this sounds super common and boring, but it still is the number one way people people's accounts get compromised. As you you use your favorite password, uh, password one, two, three, uh, and you use it commonly between more than one website. And if any one of those websites gets compromised, uh, attackers have scripts that they will now use to, to automatically do what we call credential stuffing or, or uh, credential replay attacks. 
they'll just spray that password against all the services that they might be interested in to see if it works anywhere. And the reality is it will probably work somewhere else. Uh, yeah. and, and that can be devastating uh, because there's a lot of websites where you think like, ah, I, don't, you know, I don't really care about this website. I'll just use a, a junk password or I'll sign up real quick uh, because I can't think of a good password now, but then you'll never get back to it. Uh, and the reality is it probably protects something uh, or is one degree separated away from something that you're trying to protect. Well, and I think that's exactly like the dirty, <laughs> I mean, you know, security industry is kind of the industry of dirty secrets. And like at the top, the fulcrum of dirty secrets is kind of the, the, the fact that like probably 99% of all breaches are some form of password uh, reuse error or some kind of not using two-factor authentication. And, it, yeah, and it's just, absolutely. you know, it's just baffling to me that like we have this um coverage of kind of a lot of very sophisticated breaches that always start off with like someone guessing a password. Yeah, I think I think almost every breach or, or security incident that I've been involved in has just started that way. It almost never starts with uh, in a zero day or an O day and, and you know, someone alley-ooping their way into the Gibson. It's always, uh, oh, it turned out this one password I used over here was uh, was a junk password. And I think just, you know, uh, and it could be as easy as like, turns out my IFTT password uh, was a junk password and that led to uh, misinformation or scam information being posted in a place that, uh, and an account that was very secure. It's all, it's always about that weak link. So let's Absolutely. talk about what you can do about that, right? And I, and I think our favorite thing, I think both of us would agree is like use a password manager. Like that's the best way to start attacking that. Uh, I don't know, do you have another, another thought there? Or? Yeah, well, and I think on the password manager situation, you know, I, I think um, it's it's difficult because I think the question you probably get and the question that I get frequently is sort of like which password manager should I use, um, and, and that's and that's like a loaded question, right? It's it's sort of like asking the 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 the, the Ford dealer like which car should like which brand of car should they buy, right? It's like everybody yeah. has like an axe to pull out and, and go to town with. But I think that ultimately, right, like I think it's good to kind of try a, a plethora of password managers, maybe like two or three, and then whichever one integrates the most seamlessly into your life that is the easiest and most friction-free to use is probably like the right answer. Um, yeah, I think, well, I think this is one of those things where like, there is no wrong answer. Literally pick a, you know, spin a wheel, pick a password manager, and if you commit to using it, and and I say even better, you know, if you have a family or if you have a partner and, and kids, if you can get the whole family using it together, then you're golden. It almost doesn't matter which password manager it is because any password manager is better than no password manager. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the second thing that I would recommend, and, and I have to be careful because we do, <laughs> we I, I will call, uh, I will flag uh, conflicts of interest where I have them. And in this space, we actually do have a conflict, at least we've made an investment in, in Ubico. Um, but I would say that that using strong two-factor authentication, uh, specifically anything that uses the U2F standard, is probably the most important thing you could ever do to secure your 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 personal life and all of your accounts. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, use a password manager, uh, even if that means you have a notebook where you write passwords down. As long as you're not reusing them, that's awesome. And then there's sort of the gradated steps. I think you've given us the uh, Cadillac, so to speak, of choices for for authenticators, where you will reduce your risk down to as low as it can possibly go, but it won't be zero. I think that's important to point out. 
But there's a, a wide array of things you could do. Like now that you've used a unique password, which is fantastic, congratulations, you're on your way. Now you need a, uh, a 2FA solution. And let's sort of debunk the fact that like it can be any 2FA solution. If it sends you an email uh, with a code in it, that's fine. That's better than nothing. If it sends you an SMS, that's okay. Don't listen to your crazy Bitcoin or cryptocurrency friends. That's actually okay for most human beings. That is a perfectly fine path to use. But if you can use a web, if you can use a, an app-based authenticator, that's even better. And then if you have the choice to use a FIDO token or a WebAuthn token, that is the best you can possibly do. And you can feel really good about your choice if you, if you have the ability to do that. I think the unfortunate thing um, that, uh, that some of my friends would say, that some of our friends would say is not every service supports uh, a FIDO authenticator yet. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get to a point where that is a thing that everybody offers. Not quite there yet. But as long as you can, you can choose some kind of secondary authenticator, you are doing fantastic. Absolutely. I think the one issue where this becomes a little bit problematic, um, and this is, this is kind of the, one of the things that's always, I guess there's, there's, there's sort of like, in my on my phone right there are there's my google authenticator and then maybe one or two other apps but like the thing that drives me adding authenticator apps to my phone are my financial service accounts right and it it just seems yeah. like every single bank um at least the large banks right like they 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 drive you towards sms um and then if you are you know try to request special protection they route you into some sort of like you know direct label um kind of Kind of authenticator for those situations. Do you have Do you have any recommendations for that? Out of curiosity, because I know, you know, with with financial services, um, you know, there is a lot of activity in people trying to hijack SMS to like get into your bank account, for example. Yeah, I think. Although, what I would say is, like, look, unless you're uh, an exceptionally high high net worth individual, using two FA is fine for most people. Um, and yeah, it's not like you're eliminating all risk. It's that you're making it you're making it much more difficult to steal your password from your fantasy football site or whatever you might be using. That you you know even if you've reused it in your banking account, now they have one more hoop to jump through. The cost of attacking you and stealing money from you is is higher, and that's all we're really trying to do. We're trying to reduce the risk or increase the cost of that attack. So I think you know the the unfortunate thing is in the case of like banking apps. Yeah, you you just kind of have to go with whatever they have. It's it's unfortunate they all try to be cute and rebrand uh, different different things in their own way. But the good news is there's a lot of upside you have on non financial services apps where you can log in with your Apple account, your Google account, or whatever whatever your uh, common authenticator is, which makes it even more secure. Because then if you're using your let's say I choose to use my Apple account at, at a bunch of different places. If I've used 2FA with my Apple account, well, now I, I get the upside of that extra security with everything that I'm logging into with that account. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always I always found it a bit ironic that like Facebook supported stronger authenticators than my primary financial services provider. But yeah, <laughs> that's, one, that's one of those great ironies, right? Like, come on, uh, I, I wish you would think it would be you'd be using your banking account to log into everything else because that would be the highest security. But uh, we're not quite there yet. Absolutely. That's a, that's a future we all want. Well, I think the other, I think one of the other big issues that we see, and we've seen this pretty consistently with apps that get popular, right? So like fake apps in app stores, specifically like kind of Google Play, um, you know, you get knockoff apps. It could be Facebook with two zeros or <laughs> it could be Instagram with a four instead of an A. Um, 
or or even then just people kind of interacting with content that gets emailed to them that they sort of double click on. I think it's really important to to kind of right really kind of trust and focus in on um, well trust but verify right like making sure that the stuff that you're downloading or that the emails you're interacting with are actually coming from the institution that you suspect they're coming from. <laughs> and that that seems to be one way that the, the bad actors are, have been getting a lot of traction recently. Yeah, I think a lot of that is um, like, there's also, you know, there are third party app stores, especially if you're in the Android ecosystem, and it could be hard to understand what's a what's a valid app or not. I've run into that at, at, uh, at lots of companies that I've worked at. Um, but, you know, you, you have options, you have the ability to sort of scrutinize things one step lower, uh, one step more, if you are suspicious, like if there's an email that you're getting and it, and it looks suspicious, you can always type in the URL versus clicking on the link. Um, but I also think like most modern web browsers, and if you're using Windows or Mac, you have a lot of technology that's built into the, into the platform itself to do some basic detection for you. There's also a variety of websites that'll you know you can copy and paste URLs into that'll give you some inkling as to whether it's it's suspicious or not. But the reality is, you know, the the sad part is maybe this is a little too fatalist. Uh, if somebody wants to get you, they will. Uh, and I think the the main thing you should be thinking about is is not how to never click a link, but how to protect yourself or at least reduce the risk of your exposure to that that kind of thing. Because the, I mean, the other thing and we didn't talk about this is like I get fake SMS messages uh, pretty frequently now, and they and honestly, the thing that tips me off that they're not real is they all say, "Jeffrey, click here." I was like, "That's my mother didn't send me this text. No one's calling me Jeffrey, so it's probably not FedEx asking me to click a link." Uh, as it turns out, but it's just you know, be a little suspicious. If you don't trust the link, don't click it. Uh, and like me with my voicemail, because I never answer my phone, if, if it's really important, someone will leave a message or follow up later, right? If yeah. I didn't pay my taxes, someone will probably let me know. <laughs> You'll get a visitor at the door for that one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. And they'll <laughs> offer me a free ride and some handcuffs. Absolutely. You know, and I think what's interesting is that we've kind of seen this whole ecosystem evolve, right? Like, like back in the early days, you predominantly had people that were hacking into systems and doing it mostly to brag or for fun. Um, not necessarily financially motivated. By early days, I mean like early 90s. Um, like fast forward, right? We had the emergence of sort of European, or I'd say more like, um, you know, Eastern European focused banking fraud actors, right? They're writing malware Trojans. The Zeus Trojan, for example, was was like, you know, on its own, probably a Fortune 500 company just with the amount of fraud that they were able to commit in a year. Oh man, yeah. yeah it was the, the, the battle days. Um, and and we've kind of seen this like financially motivated e-crime kind of thing, um, you know, develop over the last twenty years. And and now we've got sort of ransomware, right? And this is this is sort of the 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 crime at scale where you've got these criminal groups that are not just targeting. You know, they were saying that that Acer just had the largest ransomware demand yet. We saw that Garmin had some issues previously, and we've just seen it happening to like a number of very large companies um, who actually do spend on you know, things like security and backup. Um, and we're also seeing it impact individuals. Uh, and, and essentially, like it's, it's actually becoming like a bit of a plague for the entire ecosystem. Um, kind of curious, because I think when you look at the ransomware threat actors, you look at how they're operating, right? They're, they're not using zero-day exploits. Um, they're guessing passwords, <laughs> usually on RDP servers, or they're guessing passwords to get into your, your email account uh, and then going from there. Um, it just all seems to be very simple kind of basic mistakes that we overlook uh, that lead to like really outsized problems. 
Yeah, I think what well, I think path of least resistance, right? Uh, all that stuff still works. So there are people that can do that at scale and still make some serious cash doing it. Um, and I think the really scary thing is uh, a lot of times those organizations are working under the uh, under the approval of state actors or nation state actors, uh, where they sort of you know, like you can do this, but we want to cut. You have to kick up to the boss, so to speak. Yeah. Um, or there are nation states doing it directly. I think this really highlights, though, uh, the lack of any really strong security solutions for end users, right? I think you and I can deploy, you know, a thousand laptops or whatever, and we can feel pretty good about the telemetry we're putting on them and how we're going to respond to things and what our strategy for detecting a compromise on that device such that we're, we might not be able to prevent everything, but we can respond really quickly. But there's nothing for me and you and, and our kids or our grandparents, whatever it is, to make sure that they, they have really strong software. We're relying on sort of the lowest common denominator there to protect those devices. And I, and I think it just really calls out to, it's really hard to do security. And there are very few incentives to invest uh, in doing it right for you know, just normal end users. Well, and I, I think the thing that really kind of triggered it in my mind was probably back in like 2000. 2005, getting a presentation from a, a U.S. law enforcement agency um, without giving away too many specifics, but basically kind of, you know, they, they walked us through a day in the life of the people who were stealing from the bank I was working at. Uh, and, and it wasn't it wasn't sort of the, the stereotypical like, you know, you know, skinny, pasty person sitting like in a basement somewhere with no light on. It was actually like, Hey, there's this career software developer living in this country who goes into work at 10 a.m. <laughs> works works until 5 p.m. Yeah. goes home goes home to their family, right? Like, here's the benefits package they give these guys, right? Like, here's here's kind of like here's what their their stake in their hall looks like, right? So they get a commission based on how much money they're able to filter out of the bank. Here's the <laughs> mule network, right? Like, like it's and and like you can actually ride along with the mules as they're like going around to ATMs to kind of like pull out their cash. Um, and it was just it was just like shocking, right? That you've got this level of professionalization on the other side of the table. Um, and it's it's just it's just always felt like we're fighting with one arm behind our back, right? Like the the craziest <laughs> thing, no, I think you're right, but I think the craziest thing about that is imagining the guy stealing money or hacking your website is not a four hundred year four hundred uh, is not a four uh, four hundred pound dude in his basement. It's a guy that has to you know present a PowerPoint to his boss or yeah. uh, is is dealing with performance reviews about stealing money from your computer. And I think, uh, although that's ironic to me, thinking about, uh, I guess they don't make westerns uh, uh, anymore. But you know, thinking about uh, the hackers movie, but being a bunch of dudes giving yeah. each other PowerPoint presentations about optimizing uh, theft. Um, but, you know, but it goes to the point, like people are, this is a business, people are doing this, like this is how good the opportunity is, is there are investors uh, now, you know, probably not the, not the kind of investors you deal with, but investors in these kind of criminal syndicates, that's, that's how big an opportunity it is for them. And how much, you know, there's just acknowledgement in the space that it's basically a commercial sector. Uh, that you know that things uh, there are insecure devices and accounts, and there are enough of them, and it is hard enough for professional teams like mine to secure them. That it's a it's a healthy venture to invest in. Yeah, there are absolutely. there are return curves on this kind of thing. I'm sure. Absolutely, and there's NPS scores too for the ones that do the best. <laughs> <stuff>. no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's insane. I think I think for this, and I guess to close out the show, right? Like we. I guess we, we, we want to have this recurring feature on our show, which is uh, 
we were calling it kind of acronyms that can screw you. And so <laughs> last week we talked about SMS, the, the oh, yeah. lights. Yeah, you know how you can pay $14 to get access to anyone's phone number to send and receive SMS, which is, you know, one of those acronyms. And, th and this week, speaking of crime and e-crime, um, we saw a bunch of reports on Twitter, right, where, where users were having problems with ACH. Uh, and ACH is one of those acronyms that you you generally only hear about it when you make in painfully large purchases, right? So think automobiles, homes, uh, if you're lucky enough, boats and planes and stuff like that. Um, but but generally, it's one of those things that I don't think most people interact with in any frequency at all. And it turns out that ACH is actually really horribly insecure, <laughs> um, at least according to the reports that we've seen, which is that all you really need is someone's kind of personal information, their routing number and their account number, and you can essentially start transferring money out of their, their savings or checking account. Yeah, one of one of these uh, these things, like so many parts of our lives that we have, we just don't think about day in day out. That was designed decades ago. Uh, that really didn't ever consider that someone might abuse this, or that it might be something that everyday people uh, are using, and that it's available to criminals to abuse directly. Instead of, you know, I'm sure when they designed it, they were like, okay, we need to make sure nobody hacks into our mainframe uh, to to make sure this gets abused. But they didn't think about the fact that I could be sitting at my computer anywhere in the world, and uh, as long as I have somebody's checking account and routing number, I can I can potentially cause some financial mischief. Uh, so ACH, automated uh, check handling, I think that's what it stands for, right? I think that's what it stands for. Yeah, that sounds about Close right. Close enough. I, I think as long as we say it with confidence, that will be, <laughs> that's all we need to do. That's all um, in the security space, actually. Yeah, that's that's all being a CISO really is, is saying dumb things confidently. Absolutely. And learning how to say no in multiple languages. At least that's what I was told. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Intimidatingly. Awesome. Absolutely. Hey, well, thank you. It's been 30 minutes now. I think we're coming up to the end of our show. That was uh, hopefully not too painful for our listeners. I, I know I enjoyed talking to you, Jeff. Hopefully they enjoyed listening to it. Oh, let's hope so. And, and thanks, everybody, for being with us for the absolute best 30 minutes of your week. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. And hopefully we'll have some additional special guests. Thank you. Right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye.